Welcome to the 50th episode of The Lunch Boys Podcast. We've been through a lot together, and the authoritarian establishment is on our tail. To celebrate, we thought we'd discuss the book that helped us understand how illegitimate the government really is. On this episode, the boys will be discussing the anatomy of the state by Murray Rothbard. Oh yeah! Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Launch Boys. I'm Ryan. I'm Henry. And I'm Jake. <laughs> and today is our fifth, 50th episode. I almost said our fifth. fifth 50th episode. That's like our <laughs> 250th episode. Uh, <laughs> quick and, math. Yeah, very quick. I used to be good at math. Um, and then I became an Austrian. <laughs> we don't do math. Uh, that's a joke. But... <laughs> For the 50th episode, we got a few things planned. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the second book we read as a, as a group, uh, Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard, which is what uh, ruined Jake and I's life. Uh, that, those Literally. 50 pages ruined um, any semblance of most relationships I had with most Yeah, the people. 9-11 report is what ruined me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it made it so uh, you, I couldn't have friends because all I wanted to talk about is, have you ever thought about how, you know, insert This propaganda. invisible thing controls our lives? Yeah. Um, it's a problem. So I made a podcast about it. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, we got that coming in a second. And we also have a giveaway. And I know people love free stuff. Uh, what we're giving away is a Starbucks gift card and one of five books. So there's the Starbucks. And the grand prize. Oh, is a, a lunch with us if you live in, on us. On us. Not on us, but like we provide it. I, you could eat off me if you, you know, we make it a raffle. <laughs> More than a giveaway. You know what I'm saying? Body shots off Ryan. <laughs> Let's do it. Spoiler alert, you won't have a lot of food. Oh. Because he's skinny. <laughs> there's a lot of vertical space. That's true. That so is true. It, it would be about the same as a normal person. <laughs> the surface area is average. Right. <laughs> Long plate. Um, so if you're in like you know, uh, Charlotte area, NC. Driving distance. Driving distance. Uh, we'll buy you lunch wherever you, and want, if you want. As get long crazy as it's not two hundred dollars. Come from Texas. We'll do it. I mean, we'll wait for you. But you got to do that. Yeah. Um, so so we the, will not fly you. No, not even close. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there's that. There's the uh, five books, I believe it is. Uh, each one, uh, it's the Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt, uh, Case for Gold by Ron Paul, Man, Economy, and State by Murray Rothbard, Human Action by Ludwig von Mises, and the Bastiat Collection by, obviously, Frederick Bastiat. Um, and all of those are tremendous books and some of my favorites. I've actually not read the boss yet. I've not read any boss yet, which I feel like is a crime for like neoclassical uh, economics fans. But whatever. I actually ordered a copy for myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there will be a link to follow in our Instagram bio and uh, the notes of this show or the description of this show, where depending on where you're watching, um, enter that. Uh, each winner gets one prize, and the books each are one prize. So you'll win one of them if you win. 
uh, how how much can I over explain this? <laughs> uh, I'm actually super excited for the lunch. I think that's gonna be so much fun. It's gonna be so much fun. I hope some lefty wins it. <laughs> some lefty. It's just some. Do we like, have uh, lefty listeners? I mean, well, I think no. I don't know if my friend Cynthia that I used to work with at Whole Foods. I don't know if she still listens, but she's like super lefty and one of the coolest people. And it would be very funny to talk with her. I mean, the, the talks don't have very to be politics, just by the way. We have lives she, past that. She's barely, fun is all get out. So that would be. I, I wonder if we should make whoever wins sign a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, you for can't whatever record we talk it. About. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Henry and I, it gets <laughs> odd. <laughs> it's like a combination uh, of maybe like Jim Jeffries and maybe Bill Moyer, like kind of put together. Whenever I go to church and pastors talk about who you surround yourselves with, I'm like, have I made good life choices? No. <laughs> <laughs> you have made the best choice. <laughs> Objectively, probably not. Um, you could have gone with, you know, a uh, philanthropist of sorts, you know, somebody who really cares about people, but instead you chose some psychopaths. <laughs> Those uh, people don't want to talk to me because I don't agree with their assessment of black people. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many jokes to be like, yeah, people don't like my assessment. I think. <laughs> it's a joke, though. <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they're cool most of the time, just like white people, just like every people. Everybody sucks, dude. All black of us. people suck, but also white people suck. Just as bad. Well, don't say black people suck. You just have to say white people suck and black. Some black. Some black people suck. You have to make it sound like black people don't quite no, suck I, as bad as white people. Every person sucks. I'll <laughs> just come out. And say I mean, AOC would say that some people that suck still have to do their jobs, and that's why we need COVID relief. You know? Do you guys remember that? True. Have you guys been seeing the meme floating around? That's like it took the government what like yeah. a couple days to impeach Trump, and it took them months to decide whether or not you were worth six hundred dollars. And I was like. <laughs> Yeah, and to be Love honest, to, to piggyback off of my all people suck comment, a lot of you aren't even worth six hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a joke. Who knows? Really? Oh my gosh! If you, actually, actually, if you look at the national debt objectively, less than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is it like thirty-two grand per taxpayer yeah, yeah, or something yeah. stupid like that? Um, anyways, we have more things to talk about than. <laughs> this uh speaking of people who really suck anatomy of the state murray rothbard uh 50 page pamphlet or so kind of breaking down um the tendencies and well defining what a state is yeah kind of like a, a breakdown and analysis of the state as an institution mm -hmm. not necessarily a specific one but just generally speaking the nature Which of the state part of what makes it so good is that naturally as Amer americans and naturally as people who grew up in the protestant denomination of christianity in america it is our our role to just read ourselves into every story and make it about us um but he does a really good job of rather than making it specifically about us it's just about states in general and all governments mm -hmm. in general and uh, i thought that was it makes it a much better argument because he's not arguing against like the constitution or he's not arguing against like our American ideals of government. He's arguing against, this is what governments do. Which actually my favorite part, not to like jump into specifics right away, do but it. when he does bring up the constitution towards the end, 
and how even that was like a it was like a nice try yeah. but how it still kind of falls apart once you get to the judicial branch yeah and how they're the ones that actually dictate how to interpret the constitution which yeah. inevitably will bring you to a state-run organization yeah so that was near the end so we can just like start from the end and go backwards really i mean uh, it's, it's funny it's funny you say that though because that's where it came home for me again because we read ourselves and everything yeah like when i read that my number one takeaway is um the same people who will laugh at the idea of a market being self-regulating will trust a government to check and balance itself. Right. Um, and one, there's a lot of historical precedent. And one, <laughs> there's, you know, more historical precedent to disprove uh, that that's the case, you know. Um, so, like, near the end, he does just basically say uh, there is nothing that could stop a tyrannical government from just being tyrannical except for war and revolution mm -hmm. is really the only two And that it's just like the nature of government to constantly expand and yeah. basically give a reason for why it needs to be a necessity. And like, if you want to be as charitable and like kind of generous to that position as possible, if your job was, you know, you, th you think of yourself as a public servant and you're like, well, how can I serve the public? I think I could serve them more by doing X, Y, and Z. This is the most charitable, you know, uh, view of this. You can see how you would want to argue for more control over things because you think you can make things better for people. But then there's also the more realistic, nefarious thing where it's just like, I just want more money well, to also, control more. Well, also, you have more. to justify your job. Could you imagine you're yeah. on a health department board or something like that? And people are looking at you like, okay, we give you tax money. What have you produced or done? Well, the obvious answer is nothing. Yeah. Except rules and regulations. So they're constantly Unless making more and more. Unless you're a statist, in which case you you believe in the fallacy that the government can actually provide for you. You right. believe in the fallacy mm -hmm. that the government creates and it doesn't. It can only predate, which is a really important distinction to make when talking with statists. Because it'll be like, the government needs to provide whatever it is for whatever marginalized people group. And the only way they can do that is to literally remove the the the, la the, the rungs of the ladder that allow marginalized people groups to climb out of poverty. It's very interesting. Yeah. And um, uh, <clears throat> about three, four, we really are just starting from the back and <laughs> going uh, well, to the front. Well, let's do this real quick because um, just so that way people can kind of get an idea of where we're at. Let's give like first impressions of the book. I just reread it. Um, and then Ryan, you listen to it instead, yeah. which probably beget a different experience. Um, but he also then, he has Arsu already read it, right? This is like Both my of us already time. read it, so it was yeah. actually I'm the only one that read it for the first time. Yeah, so give yeah. me your 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 yeah, Henry goes start with first. you, Henry. Yeah, yeah. wait for, first on Anatomy of the State, and then also just Rothbard generally. All right, so <laughs> based off of like your that. one thing, <laughs> so reading this for the first time, but also being where I am. In yeah. my development as far as politics, government, current events, tyranny, and whatnot, it just, I felt like I was at church constantly like Wait, standing up and clapping. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, take them down. Yes, they're the worst. Amen. Right? So it was <laughs> very self-congratulatory yeah. kind of. Uh, every point, uh, irrefutable. Let's be uh, honest. <laughs> uh, basically. I guess I've heard a lot of excerpts of Rothbard just from libertarian podcasts. And so me. being friends with this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it uh it measured up. It was good. Yeah. And also just, just concise. Just, just so you know, this was not Rothbard's best. Oh, so if you want to get real crazy. <laughs> one thing I just like having read a lot of philosophy, I guess, mm -hmm. 
the nicest thing about the way that he writes is that he just gets right to the point. I mean, in in 50 to 55 pages, he completely disassembles most people's perception of the government in a really easy way. And from a writing perspective, I just think that's impressive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's a, uh, basically an engineer of language, but it was, this was written in 2009, right? He's been dead since 95. I am so wrong. Where did <laughs> no, I... it, was, it was copyrighted by the Mises Institute. In oh, yeah. Okay. Let me, there let me see. Yeah, I'll pull up. That um, makes more sense. Release. Clickety, clickety, clack, clickety, clack, clack, clickety, clack. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the publication Welcome to American Online. Well, I thought, well, Ryan. I was is hoping to get like one of those like cards where it was like you know the answer that google just hands you 74 it was oh, released wow. january 1st 74 that's okay. even better because that's of so everything funny, right? that he I talks that in about 10 seconds i googled anatomy of the state and there it was <laughs> actually that's um, that is so much better uh, i guess we should probably point this out later that it was written in 74 given specifically the part where he talks about intellectuals and I science was just about as a religion to say that. we have to yes. finish first uh, impressions though first oh, no, no, impressions right, but i'm just saying mental note yeah yeah, oh, that, absolutely. I, was, I have something to say about it's that. It's eerie. It was eerie <laughs> reading reading that part specifically. Um, but Ryan, what about you? What are your thoughts? Uh, again, this was my fourth time uh, either reading or listening to it. Um, I just feel like it's a good refresher to have every every now and then. Uh, and, and I kind of agree with Henry that it's pretty self-congratulatory. And um, like, obviously, I agree. But like the first time I read it was back when I was like, uh, like a con-, con Inc, like Shapiro, Crowder, uh, Charlie Kirk esque conservative. Um, so breaking away from that kind of worldview, this was massive in it. Um, so like it has a lot of impact on where I am now politically. And uh, so that can't be overstated enough. Like this was the book mm-hmm. that did it for me. Um, but like it's, yeah, it was just like a refresher to me of why should I hate these people? Is <laughs> like basically what it was. More but so like, about why they hate you. I like I wish I wish I could have I wish we were doing this podcast when I first read it. Um because I think if we had all started and I was uh, still conservative, maybe all of us were conservative, I would be like, "Guys, oh my god, <laughs> you don't we got to stop. <laughs> Turn everything around." <laughs> you know, this is a red alert like we can't keep going like we're going. Um but like like Henry said, it's kind of refresher jake how about you this book is as i've said to the boys before they're the two most influential books in my entire life are the bible and anatomy of the state not in that order Um, though (laughs) 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 um jokes but it's literally it was just one of those not for ryan but it was (laughs) it was one of those books that just like it I, I was I came out of Con Inc. before I had read this book. Like I already knew that whatever the Republican establishment was didn't care about liberty, didn't care about like actually making sure that these crazy left wingers didn't run the country and things like that. And I started to see them like holding hands a lot more. I started to see like Obama and Bush started to feel very indistinguishable indistinguishable to me as far as foreign policy. And I was just like lost. And I met this guy named Ryan. 
Nope. who happens to host this podcast called the Lunch Boys Podcast. Share it nope. with your friends. Five stars and nineteen. It's amazing. Um, and he's he, we would have conversations, and I I I had issues with the intellectual dishonesty of the right, but I didn't have a counter to firmly stand in opposition of both. And Ryan was this guy that just seemed to have those. And I was like, what the world? Like, this guy is clearly not Very outspoken like, about it. a Trumpian. Yes, extremely. And sometimes <laughs> it makes you nervous when he's around people that don't know him as well. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I'll never forget well, when we got burgers and he was autism. just going in. And I was like, ah! But <laughs> uh, I, I, remember, I remember the direct quote. Uh, somebody was bringing up, uh, somebody brought up Joe Biden and was like, oh, are you a fan of him? And I said, uh, or somebody called Joe Biden Jesus was what it w- was. Oh, and I, 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 I'm pretty sure it was a joke, but then I hit back like not as jokingly. If Joe Biden was Jesus, I would walk to the nearest chapter of the Church of Satan and convert and yes, be a priest. Yes, that was the quote. <laughs> and, I remember and that. And everyone's face was just like, what? <laughs> After just having played at church. Yeah. yeah. And oh. it was all the church people and everyone was like, who is this guy? <laughs> And I, I was dying laughing. I thought that was the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. Yeah. So was, we, we would talk awesome. and then um, Ryan was like, hey, you should read this book. And he said, it's really short. You should check it out. So I read Anatomy of the State and I immediately found philosophical ground to see the intellectual dishonesty of both the right and the left and how like I cannot and I won't. Um, and, you know, I there's a conversation that's kind of been that I've had recently with one a really good friend of mine that's been really like heavy on my heart because the person's just like so angry towards me when like we've been through so much together and like this person literally has removed any ability for me to speak into issues as a black man that in issues that relate to black people and feels and talks to me like I'm some kind of neocon and doesn't realize that like my position is that I'm firmly against the state that gives power to the very people that you hate. Like we aren't on opposite teams here. Mm -hmm. I just don't want a government solution to it. And this was the book that helped me to establish that framework. So I I absolutely love this book. I, I I've been sending it to people who listen to the show or like peripherally aware of the show. I think it is, if you read it with an open mind, it is it, for me, at least I know for sure it was literally the most influential book in my life besides the Bible. And that's like not a joke. Uh, it's really changed my life. I, I think if you read it and you're like open to the idea at all, because like I don't think you could get a Marxist to read it and like agree at all. But if you're if you're open to the idea, it'll definitely make you a minarchist. I don't think it can make you an anarchist. It's close though, because it, reading it the second time, yeah. I I started to go, oh, this this is less so the problems with government. Reading it the second time, where my I'm at now, and it was mm-hmm. more like government is bad. Yeah, we shouldn't but, have one. But that's yeah. kind of where I arrived at the end of the book this time, the second that, time. That's the thing. Um, but that's also after you've kind of been marinating in the idea of uh, like just not having one. Um, I, I think for the first time, it will at least solidify in your mind like kind of the cliche of government being the necessary evil, but like it'll emphasize the evil part mm-hmm. and kind of like maybe draw back the necessary part a little bit. Um, uh, so like if you're it's not like anarchist propaganda. I think it's a, a pretty fair analysis of the state. And I, I, yeah. it doesn't read like it's like, hey, you should be this way. It's like, hey, here's just how it is. <laughs> hey, you shouldn't have police. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, like, let's hear him out. I mean, but... yeah, but <laughs> if you're if you're not there yet, this book isn't going to make you get there. Yeah, it'll, it'll um, just it'll make you realize that it's maybe a little more evil than you thought. So why don't we why don't we hop into some specifics? Uh, I think for the sake of 
I mean, you guys tell tell you guys do what you want. You know, I mean, I'm along for the ride. But I feel like going chapter by chapter might help uh, our listeners to kind of follow along. Or uh, do you want to? So I was uh, about to make a point, and then we got derailed a little bit. Um, sure. Like 10, 15 minutes ago, when you when you uh, w- somebody mentioned the uh, predation by the state of like production by private uh, individuals. Yeah, it was Jacob. 99% sure, and so is he. Uh, <laughs> like the survival rate of COVID. Uh, Lowball in it there, but <laughs> <laughs> close. Um, uh, if you want more reading on that, uh, Ethics of Liberty by Murray Rothbard as well is a, another great book on that that kind of just expounds on that and like takes what he mentions for like three paragraphs in Anatomy of the State and makes it 300 pages. Uh, it's a very good book, and I just wanted to throw that out there. Heck yeah. Well, why don't we start with uh, chapter one? Brilliant call on Rothbard to have the first chapter be what the state is not. Just to be like, I, I know I know what you think it is. You're wrong. <laughs> like, instead, of, instead of diving right into, like, here's what I think it is. It's like, I'm going to address your arguments first because I know what you're going to say. I know your cliches and your tropes for 74. And you just, by the way, you're wrong. <laughs> and what's funny is they're the same cliches and tropes that we use today. More or less, yeah. This book is almost eerie to read knowing it was written 40 years ago. You so know? you know it's like, inherent in the institution. Right, exactly. And it's only gotten worse. <laughs> so two, two quotes I'd love to start with. Uh, so he was talking about what the state is not. He says, the useful collective term, we, quote, has enabled an ideological camouflage to be thrown over the reality of political life. If, quote, we are the government, then anything government does to an individual is not only just and untyrannical, but also, quote, voluntary on the part of the individual concerned. The next point he makes after that is, under this reasoning, any Jews murdered by the Nazi government were not murdered. Instead, they, quote, committed suicide since they were the government, which was democratically chosen, which I thought was another just like gut punch. Uh, And therefore, anything the government did to them was voluntary on their part. One would not think it necessary to belabor this point, and yet the overwhelming bulk of people hold to this fallacy to a greater or lesser degree. I think we're done yes. with the podcast, boys. That's all we need to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's painful. It's yeah. painful to think about. Yeah. Uh, and, and even uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, who is like Rothbard's prodigy student, you know, uh, great uh, thinker, great writer. I love him. In Democracy, the God That Fails, he makes the point that the distinction um, between, you know, civilian and government is... In, in monarchy and monarchism, it's very distinct. You're either in government and part of the elite or you're not. But with democracy, the line gets blurred where it's like, well, we are the government. They're representing us. We chose them. We consented to the system by choosing these representatives. Um, and again, here, here we have this short idea that I'm, here's a, a, a 300 pages. You can go read about that. Um, but the, the line gets blurred in democratic systems and, uh, People like to argue that, and it's like, yeah, is the Holocaust mass suicide? No, of course not. Like, it's a very separate entity. We're not the government. They're not representatives. That's what the state is not. It's not us. It's it's a divide between the rule, uh, the imposed, or the imposers and the imposed upon, as Jeff Dice says. 
Well, the good line though is he says, even if seventy percent of the people decided to murder the remaining thirty percent, this would still be murder and would not be voluntary suicide on the part of the slaughtered minority. Like, yeah. boom. Yeah, and, and democracy. Woo! Yeah, right. We do that. <laughs> what, in what's, democracy. what's that? A um, meme like four out of five people enjoy a gangbang or something. Oh. <laughs> Welcome oh to- my god! <laughs> like, welcome to democracy. <laughs> I love how that's the comparison to democracy. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd rather take the gangbang. To, to, to be fair, valid. <laughs> yeah. or, I, I think people usually say gang rape. I'm so but sorry, my dad. It's, it does feel like that. All right. I mean, at least you get paid after. Uh, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're doing it right at least. Not always. Um, yeah, not always. Sometimes getting initiated into the bloods today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. And, and then a, another uh, relevant quote by a, a podcast favorite, Dave Smith, host part of the problem. He, he has a quote that says, um, the state is the mafia disguising itself as a human rights organization. Yeah. And I think that's like the first two chapters combined, basically, yeah. of, of yeah. this book. Uh, like pretty succinctly um yeah really really interesting take because that's by the way both of those quotes um minus the 70 percent, 30 percent quote um mm-hmm. those quotes are in the first paragraph of this book so in yeah. the first paragraph of the book i remember reading it for the first time going oh my gosh like yeah. what is this institution that i have championed that i have this is why, like, it gets really hairy when people ask me, "Do you support the troops or are you pro police?" It gets well, patriotism, not, like, is basically you know what, I'm what saying? fuels is that patriotism. the state. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and it starts to go like, "Wait a minute!" Like, I'm really thankful that you know, if there was a foreign invader, that my government does have these soldiers that would fight, quote unquote, to protect my freedoms. But right now, what they're fighting for is not to protect my freedoms. They're on assignment by these people that I elected who aren't doing the thing that they said they would do for me. Mm-hmm. And now we have you know 1984 uh one of the big reasons that the the government was able to control the people is because they were under this constant threat of war and that's what validated a lot of the draconian measures that they were living under yeah and it's interesting to see how that even plays out now with terrorism yeah (laughs) boom see yeah look at that it's interesting to see how that plays out with the the war on terrorism domestic terrorism apparently and now that yeah so now we have with terrorism in particular, whether it be foreign or domestic, we have this constant threat of an enemy that validates the reasoning by which the government will uh, try and get us to accept its power and its use of force. And the convenient thing for the government is that there's not another state that's going to try and conquest them. There's not another state that they need to formally declare a war against. It's an idea, mm-hmm. and which means that you don't have to defeat it and then find a new thing to attack. The idea will remain. And yeah. so... Even in that, it's interesting to see people ingratiate their hearts to what government does here and abroad. And it's like, what are we actually fighting against? Because it, we, if, as long as it's terrorism, it can exist forever and will see, never not be under threat of more draconian it, measures, more government interference. And I think that's like I was doing the charitable uh, take of other people's ideas. I think that's the charitable take of that idea because the more nefarious and I think arguably more realistic uh, take is we are consistently funding and arming the people we are fighting a generation later. So we are creating the war on terror that is destroying the country. We're funding and arming our enemies consistently for the last 40, 50 years or however long it's been. And, uh, 
you could maybe argue the conspiracy side of me says it's on purpose and that they always want the uh, the threat of terrorism to hold over people's heads, to have this control over people. And they know that if they were to maybe pull out all the troops of, out of the Middle East 40 years ago, they, they wouldn't have that problem that they could then, you know, well, used to impose on everybody else. It's literally mm-hmm. very Machiavellian. And I think like Kaiser Wilhelm literally wrote it in his memoirs. To unify people, it needs to be us versus them. So mm-hmm. as long as, as a state, you create a them, you can unify people underneath your power. Yeah. And so just to, I mean, I'm, I'm hope I'm not skipping ahead too much, but like the whole hey, idea <laughs> of like WMDs in Iraq, I think is great. Yeah. It's a fake story yeah. that was created so that people are like, oh God, if, if Saddam Hussein has WMDs, that means he's a threat to not only his own people, but to us too in the mm-hmm. future. Via terrorism, et cetera. So yeah, we need to go in there and and take care of that. Yeah. And, and even our charity in that situation is is murder. falsely <laughs> manipulated by the government because here's the thing. I gotta separate the two because I think everyone needs to, right? As a human being, it's terrible that there would be any government or otherwise, institution or otherwise, that would murder people on a mass scale, whether that be Saddam Hussein in Iraq or whatever. From a government standpoint, I didn't vote for any president or any senator or any representative to do things on my behalf over there. Politically, I don't care. As a Christian, it breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Politically, I don't care. They can murder whoever the crap they want over there. The reason that your power is validated is only to keep them or to respond to them coming over here. That doesn't mean you go over there. So I don't. if, if, if he gets weapons of mass destruction... Dear U.S. government, don't be a dick and they won't care <laughs> that yeah. we exist, you know? And then number two, like, don't I, don't I don't want you spending my tax dollars over there. I just yeah. want you to make sure our military here is good. So if you even if you have that minarchist side... We've got to keep the fight over right there, there, though. So it's not over here. <laughs> that was like a direct Dick Cheney quote, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or was it Bush? Yeah. Either, either one, <laughs> whatever. Just a bunch of status cucks that want to murder people overseas. That's what Dick Bro. Cheney is to and, me. And not only <laughs> do I not care, or uh, let me back up. Not only do I not want our government over there because I don't think it's the like purpose of government to be over there and fight these wars, uh, a lot of times they make it worse. Like look at Libya after we killed Gaddafi, I think it was. There's now an open slave trade. Thanks, Hillary. And there's always uh, and ulterior you can, motives. You can buy a person for like two hundred and fifty dollars. It was like, and like it was never about freeing the Iraqis. It was never about getting rid of Gaddafi yeah. for the sake of his people. Yeah. It's never about that. It's never yeah. been about that. And yeah. like, uh, and this has been played out in libertarian circles for forever. But when uh, uh, Assad was apparently uh, gassing his own people like two yeah. or three years ago, the entire media for like a day and a half was like, look how presidential Trump is being when he was considering bombing Syria. And it's like, oh, and then leaks came out and showed that gas attack never happened. So they were just willing to lie us into another war based on nothing where thousands of children we're going to die because of it. And Pompeo just uh, uh, declared the Houthis in Yemen a terrorist group. So we're going to support the Saudis even more against that. And millions are going to die because of it. Just by the way, in case you're not depressed enough. And Anyways. Henry, <laughs> please, please correct me if my foreign policy is incorrect. But if I'm not mistaken, after Iraq went through its many political revolutions, basically just in the past couple of years with us attacking them, taking out Saddam, all this other oh, stuff. Real fast point. Yeah, uh, Scott it. Horton tweeted, it was the, the 30th anniversary of our beginning of... Iraq bombing, uh, I think, two days ago. We've been bombing oh, yeah. them for 30 years and a couple days. Without mm-hmm. Congress's approval. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, but the, it's but the funny thing is not their formal approval, very much their approval, which is yeah. oh, sure. I think very important. Well, know? actually, just real uh, hold up. The first Iraq war, they may have done congressional approval. I think uh, Desert I think Storm, so. the Bush senior one. Yeah. I think I think so. But it was the second one that definitely didn't. But um, yeah. like I was saying though, correct me if my foreign policy is incorrect. But we went through all of that stuff with Iraq. And then we started having issues with a terrorist organization known as, and terrorist quote unquote organization. It's just a bunch of like idiots that are religious, like religious zealots that are way too fundamental. And they put a bunch of towels in their head and strap bombs to their chest and call themselves an organization. It is what it is. Um, (laughs) It just is what it is. Uh, But anyway, you got Hezbollah. And then there was another group that at the time was unnamed that was actively fighting against Hezbollah. So we come to their aid, we give them a bunch of guns, we give them a bunch of weapons, we give them training even to help kick out this other terrorist organization. And then about two years after that, that group of people became ISIS. And so it's just really funny. Which to like, see, like we had like the Taliban, which fought against the Russians. Yeah. Then there were, I guess it that kind of morphs into Al Qaeda, but they might technically be separate. And yeah, then after that right. we get ISIS. Uh it's one CIA op after the other, basically. Yeah. Insane. And I, even to, to push back on the, um, this is an idea I read in uh, uh, Scott Horton's Fool's Errand. Um, to call them a terrorist organization after what we've done to them is, in, is insane. Like When they were like, against it, the Russians, at, uh, we called them freedom fighters. Yeah, but like, look at the American response to 9-11 when you had all of these people like, I'm going to go fight for this country because oh, look at what... people the- from uh, mostly Saudi Arabia. Or no, no. And we pe- went and bombed here. Afghanistan. I just wanted to make sure that... <laughs> I just want to make sure we're on the same page like, there. We yeah? had so many people who saw 9-11 and then joined the army here because of what they did to us. And it's like, they hit us once and then we had thousands of people like, I'm willing to die to go like kill them. It's like, we've been bombing them... 9 is a Tuesday in Iraq. You know, like, it, of course they're going to have the same reaction. We're all human. But think about how blind, and I think that's the strength of patriotism, how blind the hate becomes because they're mostly Saudis and yeah. I'm going to take my hate to Afghanistan now. Yeah. Like, uh, pump the brakes for a second. Hold up. What? Well, it's because they're a terrorist organization, which is, you know, again, convenient for the state because it's not a f- another formal state to have to cl- declare war on. That's why we've got troops in Afghanistan, Iraq. That's why for a while we had troops in Pakistan. I think we still do. Um, that's we why still we have get them in Germany, after Germany, the, after Syria, World War II. <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Literally, we, we have American, American troops in almost all of those countries or a solid portion of them rather is a better term, but a solid portion of those countries in the middle East, all because of one terrorist attack. And so that's one of the beauties of terrorism is that there's not a defined enemy. You just get to go places. And then because Everyone's you're the, the enemy. you know, as the British like to say, Oh, look at me, American big dog. We get to go wherever we want, put our military there, which technically if that's an act of war, um, excuse <laughs> me, have- Jake, if you're not so, with us, you're against us. Okay, that's literally yeah, yeah. what my black friend said to me because I said the chief enemy was the government. But I <laughs> wow. digress. Um, you guys want to go to, to chapter the, two? Back to the book. Yeah. Um, so I have. I think this is chapter two. Yeah. So I actually have this uh, quote uh, highlighted in my iBooks from the first time I read it, like four years ago, because it like made enough of an impression on me. So the quote is, uh, it's on page 14 and on my copy, I don't know if it's different for any other like versions. 
quote, the classic paradigm was a conquering tribe pausing in its time-honored method of looting and murdering a conquered tribe to realize that the time span of plunder would be longer and more secure and the situation more pleasant if the conquered tribe were allowed to live and produce with the conquerors settling among them as rulers exacting a steady annual tribute. Rothbard basically just said, you'd be better off long-term for them to just loot and murder you and then leave than to establish a government. (laughs) Yep. And uh, I I just thought, uh, and like, obviously, uh, you can poke holes in that two-sentence sentiment, obviously, but I think the essence of it is so like that's fair <laughs> that sounds extreme i bet to like the average person that doesn't necessarily think of it that way but i think a much better word that he later uses is when he says it's just a parasite so you've, yeah you've got the productivity of your life which we all live and then they siphon your productivity yeah by default like by its very nature and like i even a lefty would be like well, yeah, that's what taxes are. And it's like, yeah. The price to live, a, live in a civilized society. Right. And I think the fact that he put it into perspective that the government in and of itself produces nothing, mm-hmm. they need you, and you don't need them. The, and the awesome part is even the things that people think they produce, like roads and highways and whatever, it's not government workers making the roads. It's private contractors that the government is paying with your money to go yeah. make it. So who would make the roads? The same people making them now. Yeah. It's who would pay for them. And right. it would be, guess what? The same people paying for them now. <laughs> <laughs> so You just gave me the best argument ever for the, I like roads and stuff, people. And it's and like, like, government didn't build those. They my, just paid for them. <laughs> my, uh, my big thing when people say, well, what about the roads? Use the roads. I'm like, okay, if you want to reduce this Leviathan government into a roads company, I'll compromise my principles <laughs> on, on that one. I will give you the roads if you give me gold standard, no wars, abolish the income tax, Not a, eliminate mention, regulation. I'll, I'll compromise with going the roads. Back, <laughs> so one of the ideas that he talks about is how the government continues to expand. It's kind of in the nature of it to expand. Yeah. So there are some Department of Motor Vehicles that have their own equipment to build roads. Yeah. And they took that away from you. So anyone that's unemployed, like you could have owned that company, actually. Yeah. Because there's obviously, and like this is actually my tag tweet on Twitter. The idea that the first thing people ask when libertarians start arguing is who would build the roads shows there's market demand for it and that it, the needs would be met by producers. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Just by its very nature. And uh, Walter Block's The Privati- Privatization of Roads and Highways is a 500-page book on private roads. <laughs> so uh, have fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you read that too? It's so dense. I'm 40 pages in and I have been for six months and I don't know if I'm ever going to finish it. <laughs> His other books are great, but that one is a toughie. <laughs> I mean, who wants to read about roads for 500 pages? Oh, but it's like, so, if I could just have that information in my back pocket to be like, well, actually road production is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, right. it, would, it would be devastating, but like whatever. Um, oh, <laughs> this is a really good quote. Do it. So, uh, He's basically quoting Oppenheimer. Yeah. Who and is that? He's a German like sociologist. He's, he's another one of those per- people I've... Every book I read, basically, somebody's quoting him. And I'm like, I've never read anything this guy's done, so maybe I should. <laughs> so uh, what Rothbard does is he paraphrases and then like tags the source to it. 
He says, the state, in words of Oppenheimer, is the organization of political means. It is the systematization of the predatory process over a given territory for crime at best. And then he continues. And like, yup, nailed it. That's well, exactly he, what it he, is. Right before that, he sets up two means of, of uh, economic economic interaction with people, right? And he yeah. set, he sets up the political means, and then he sets up, or he sets up first the, uh, what does he call it? Econ- thing, uh, wow, the, what is it? There's the political, oh, the economic means and the political means, right? So the economic means is that you take natural resources, you mix your labor, and then when you mix that labor, you create property or a product. You could call it either or, um, but the product belongs to you before it belongs to somebody else. So it's your property that is a product. And then what you do is you find other people who maybe aren't skilled in what you're skilled in, who have taken the natural resources that are available to them, mixed their labor with it, and created a different product. You voluntarily exchange those, which means now your affairs are better because you know how to make your product, so you don't need more of that. But yeah. that guy makes something that you don't know how to make, so I want to trade with him, and now both of us are better. So he talks about the economic means is that it it literally – and it, uh, in Democracy, the God that Failed, Hoppe does such a great job of talking about how an actor is only going to act in such a way to improve his own state of affairs. And he mm. has like a whole long, super heady chapter on it. And Rothbard kind of explains what Hoppe's saying in like two sentences. <laughs> um, not, not only but, does Hoppe have a great like couple pages on that, Mises and Human Action, one of the books we're giving away, by the way, woo! has like 70 pages of the densest psychology on that idea you've ever read in your life so, it's go yeah. wild <laughs> which is funny because just that alone is whenever people say like oh i need to get money from the government so i can go buy cheese at the grocery store and that stimulates the economy i'm like you don't know what an economy is you don't know um but that's okay but anyway so he kind of sets up those two means and then he talks about the political means which is to disrupt this process of mixing your labor with production and it predates somewhere in that process in order to appro- appropriate it for its own means and so one of the quotes he says is it's parasitic instead of adding to production it subtracts from it mm-hmm. and then this part i thought was so interesting um the next the next sentence after that he says in the long run the robber destroys his own subs- uh, substance by dwindling or eliminating the source of his own supply. Because since yeah. the robber doesn't produce anything of himself, eventually the things he's stealing from others runs out. So I wrote a little note in there and I was like, oh my God, this has already happened to our government, which is yeah. why we have the Federal Reserve and we're off the gold standard. So they continue to steal from us, but they also create their own means of production so that they can produce fiat currency currency that's not backed by anything. They can just produce whatever they want to appropriate it for their own means because the robber has already run out, which is why we're going to have this insane economic burst later on. So, and I, I just thought it was really interesting. There, there's modern, a, there, there's can, actually uh, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, so that modern monetary theory, what's so insane about that is so recently in the last year they've printed – I don't even know what percentage of dollars that exist. 35 It's something. Uh, I actually recently heard it's probably even more than that. Christ almighty. Okay. Right. But what's interesting <laughs> is, holy. is the way that they are <laughs> able to still prevent that unbelievable inflation is that they like tie that money up. So it's on the ledger, but it doesn't have any money velocity. So it's not moving throughout the economy. Yeah. It's just staying put. Yeah. That is the most villainous thing. Yeah, it's brilliant, but also criminal. Uh, uh, somebody on Twitter who is like a hardcore Catholic, but also libertarian, was making the argument that um, uh, the idea that you can create something of value out of nothing is reserved for one deity, and it's not the government. Ooh, I like that. Um, Say that I, again, I Ryan. 
that's uh, so the, good the idea that uh you can create something of value out of nothing is reserved for one institution rather and it's not the government not deity because there's obviously the government's not a deity <laughs> <laughs> they'd like it, you to think they are though is uh is satan technically a deity i don't know what uh he is I'll, a I'll, celestial being I'll, I'll a need former a celestial being deity. yeah um but back on uh the idea of the he's one of the interdimensional grays the, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, back on the idea of the, the robber, uh, <laughs> the robber robbing, or like, what, what was the quote you said? The robber getting rid of its own supply, yeah, or you know mm-hmm. whatever that yeah. idea. There's actually an economics something called the Laffer curve, which is a you know upside down U shaped curve, one for tax income and one for tax rate. And the argument basically is where is the highest point on that curve? Because obviously at zero tax rate, you have zero tax income obviously, because you're not taking anything. And then obviously at 100% tax rate, you have zero, zero tax income because nobody's going to work if everything gets taken and, you know, unless they're forced to under like mm-hmm. a communist system. But like barring slavery, uh, you can't have 100% tax rate because nobody's going to work. So the argument is where the highest point of that curve is because like at 30, you know, you'll have some, but is it going to be Less or more than 40 or 20 or something like that. So if you want to look more into that, Laffer curve, L-A-F-F-E-R curve. Hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Next chapter? Uh, The next one, man. If it's it's what I remember. How the state preserves itself. Yeah. Uh, It's a really great setup. And I forget if it's in this section that they talk about. Oh, I had another thing. All right. Just on, I'm All sorry. Right. Right. The idea of economic and political means. Uh, if you look at the history of the robber barons, uh, for the most part, the robber barons people actually hate were uh, inst- uh, companies and businesses propped up by the government. And the robber barons like Rockefeller, Carnegie, Vanderbilt, um, people like that were actually just geniuses at what they did and made modern life possible. But like some of the railroads who would get subsidies uh, based on how long. Uh, or how many miles of track they laid, it would just go in circles. Wow. And so they were like robbing the public for trains that took an hour to get like a mile down the road or whatever. Awesome. Um, so like uh, if you look at the book, um, How Capitalism Saved America, but Tom J. DiLorenzo, he makes that distinction pretty clear. And also The Myth of the Robber Barons by Bert Folsom does the same thing. If you just want some like relative, relatively modern examples of like that that and then also you can look at any crony capitalist setup like most big pharma like big tech you know like things like that like there's plenty but the robber barons is an infuriating one because rockefeller made modern life possible and people want to slander him as some like demon he did some nefarious things but you know he did but like also he did but from a socio-political or socioeconomic standpoint those things are only possible by providing a service you know for example jeff bezos isn't necessarily the nicest human alive but that well, I mean, all we, of we, us love that two-day prime shipping. So yeah. it's just like, <laughs> I know, like but whether we, or not he's a good person doesn't change the fact that he can't become that without serving people. You know, we, yeah. we so. all don't like the Fed, and uh, they were all basically involved in creating it. Yeah, and that would be their transition from an economic entrepreneur to a political entrepreneur. Uh, I mean, they are argument. like it's like the villain from every movie. Yeah, hundred percent. What was it? Uh, a Rockefeller heir. Uh, and J.P. Morgan and a Carnegie, I think, was oh, that, the, and a whole bunch more at Jekyll and, Island. Yeah, like at Jekyll Island. But I was specifically thinking like the big robber baron 
names or whatever. Holy smokes. Um, but yeah, back back to the, the next chapter. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. No worries. Yeah, that's great. And um, I always love it, Ryan, when you give people like that extra reading because whether or not they read it, at least they know that you in particular and also us um no they don't but at least they know that we we're not just saying stuff out of our butt like we're a lot of our opinions come from these books that we've read from this from this philosophy that we're diving deeper into so i'm all about just the facts Uh, (laughs) (laughs) well that's why i like the philosophy because it just draws from fact is this is what happens so Uh, i do do with that uh, what you may (laughs) I, i think it's actually this chapter so how how convenient um where rothbard talks about how the increase in uh, like quote science and like court intellectuals uh, robs man of their confidence and their common sense. And, oh, and he, I've got so many notes on this chapter, um, guys. I, he I'm, compares it to the the church when that fused with government and mm-hmm. it basically used people's inability to read the scripture for themselves as a way of making themselves like the holy ones who can now translate it for you. But yeah. then also the fact that it creates a caste system which is amazing because we think of a caste system often in like very ancient terms that you've got like your elites, then the worker class and so forth. But what's interesting is that not only do we see that in all socialism, all communism, but we have it here in America too, which is supposed to be the rags to riches country mm-hmm. and turns out, nope. Yeah. Um, uh, the one paragraph in this uh, that I really love because I'm an economics nerd. Uh, page 24, uh, kind of halfway down. Um, the increasing use of scientific jargon has permitted the state's intellectual, capital S, by the way, which I think is hilarious, the state's intellectuals to weave uh, obscurant, obscurantist apologia for state rule that would have only met with uh, derision by the populace of a simpler age. A robber who justified his theft by saying that he uh, really helped his victims by his spending giving a boost to retail trade would find few converts, but when this theory is clothed in Keynesian equations and impressive references to the, quote, multiplier effect, it unfortunately carries more conviction, and so the assault on common sense proceeds, each age performing the task in its own ways. This was written in 74, 74. (laughs) and all these lockdowns were told to us by all the experts, and if you don't go along with it, you are anti-science. And now it turns out lockdowns don't work. And I feel like that's a perfect example. How did he know? And just like the COVID It's kind of eerie, this chapter. I thought specifically with COVID, this was the eeriest chapter. Yeah. But just to go back, just to make sure, like, I want people to understand, like, these are all the ways that the state preserves itself, but principally, how does the state preserve itself? And then Rothbard draws all these other conclusions, including that really great one that you just read. Um, as, he, as he says at the in the first paragraph of that chapter, is that the chief task of rulers is to always secure the active or resigned acceptance of the majority of the citizens. Mm-hmm. So the, it's actually really good when people say you're all in or you're all out for the state. It's always good for them because if they can just get you to either actively or passively go, ah, I'll just wear a mask or uh, yeah. like I'll just and for and get you to forget researching it beyond that. Then you run into situations like that, Ryan, where it's like, oh, the intellectuals can just say do this. And we're like, oh, OK, I guess we got to shut down and we don't yeah. we're, we're evil if we try to question it beyond that. And I think that's a really good point that you made. Yeah. And like it's a. Uh especially if you're like unorthodox or heterodox, I guess on, on any issue, like Austrian economists specifically get slandered all the time for being like, you know, anti-math, anti-empiricist, which is just hit, like, uh, simply not true. 
but if you're outside of the bubble of like the approved thought and like if your idea isn't represented in the intellectuals in the state, you just kind of get brushed off. Even oh. if you have any like the most proof in the world and your thing just makes sense. Like, you like just getting get canceled? Off. That seems familiar. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or like maybe the idea that a $15 minimum wage is going to cause unemployment. And maybe Austrians have been screaming about that for, I don't know, 100 years. Yeah. And even the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, said that 1.3 million jobs are going to get lost if the $15 minimum wage goes into action. Also, can I give oh. a real world example <laughs> of a $15 minimum wage? Is that over the past year, um, before I got my new job, I was working at Whole Foods um, specifically for Amazon as a prime shopper because uh, it was available during COVID. And so one of the things that they do is they pay everyone at Whole Foods and at Amazon, they pay them $50 an hour, $15 an hour. Um, so one of the interesting things that they do with all of these prime shoppers is what they do is first off, they don't have trainers anymore because they didn't want to pay people more per hour to, mm. to take on more responsibility. And when what they did is they also got rid of the actual onboarding process. So literally there's a poster. By the time I stopped working there, there was a poster in the downstairs area where if you were a brand new prime shopper, you just got your job. There was no interview. They just checked to make sure you didn't have a criminal record. And then you walk into work. They hand you a badge that was there waiting there for you. You're supposed to ask a certain person. They just give it to that person. You scan a QR code and then a phone takes you through the training process. And so it's a really simple job, but there is certain things that you have to do correctly. And so if you don't meet these numbers of no of leadership that oftentimes you've never met, they'll just fire you. You just get an email, you're fired. The other thing that they do as well is they cap your hours. So one of the things that they're doing with this $15 minimum wage is they're saying people working 40 hours a week can't pro- provide for their families. It's like, okay, cool. What these companies do is they cap the hours so that number one, they don't owe you any benefits. And then number two, even though they're paying you more per hour, they're limiting how many hours you can work. So when people talk about stuff like, oh, we need to do a $15 minimum wage so these people can get taken care of, the quality of your training goes down, which means if you're an idiot, which plenty of idiots worked there and I watched them get fired, (laughs) Um, they just stopped showing up. If you're an idiot, you're not going to be able to pick up on the job because you you weren't given the tools to succeed. And there are Mm -hmm. idiots in the world. Sorry, where all men are created equal, but not all men are equal. Um, So some people are idiots and they get fired. Some people still couldn't provide for their families and were working other jobs and things like that because their hours were capped. They weren't getting any of the benefits that they needed. It was difficult to sign up for hours because there were so many of them that were uh, all trying to pick up shifts at the same time. I could keep going, but the bottom line is it didn't make it better for these people. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's just like so funny to see people go, oh, this is great, $15 minimum wage. I'm like, guys, this is going to be bad. Job benefits go down. The quality of your training goes down. The like They don't care about you anymore. You become a cog because they have to dish out so much to keep you getting paid to freaking grocery shop, you know? Yeah. So and that was gonna, just a so, small microcosm for me where it was just, this is bad. I, I found a uh, NPR article saying uh, on that CBO uh, study that 1.3 million jobs would be lost, but it would boost 17 million workers' pay. But then you have 1.3 million people on unemployment, and you got to increase taxes to pay for that. And now you have a bunch of people with more money. So maybe it kind of just cancels itself out. Also, a lot of the people who would get a job boost from the minimum wage to 15 would also be in a different tax bracket. So they wouldn't actually get that much more. And also, only like 1% of not teen uh, working adults are on the minimum wage anyways. And also to be able to fit the bill for a lot of these programs, let's say like unemployment benefits and whatnot that are going to continue, mm-hmm. uh, they have to print more dollars, which means that your 
buying power goes down. So yeah. effectively, you made no change. So let's say, yeah, you got $15 an hour, but food's more expensive, sick, gas is right. more expensive, rent's more expensive. And that's expensive. what happens anytime you increase the money supply is your buying power with each dollar goes down, which is why back in the day, minimum wages were lower. And also the number one with the Coke at whatever restaurant of your choice that serves number ones with Cokes, that price was lower. And so we've seen, and I mean, I even remember as a kid, the minimum wage uh, went up three times when I worked at a particular fast food restaurant. And each time the price of a number one with a Coke went up about two months later. Um, And they weren't, no one ever said it was because of the minimum wage, but I do think it was interesting that on the dot about two months later, prices for a number one with a Coke went up. So what was the actual benefit? So rather than demanding more money from government, we need to constituency. Yeah, we, we need to figure out how to how to teach people that government interference always either gives you a net n- a net nothing result or a net negative result. There is never a net positive result with government so interference. I, I I brought up a U.S. inflation calculator just for fun. How many nineteen thirteen dollars, or how or rather, how many twenty twenty dollars uh, is seven twenty five equal to in nineteen thirteen when the Fed was created and when the inflation released? Started kicking up a little bit. Now I'm kind of concerned. Uh, so seven dollars in nineteen thirteen is equal to how many dollars now? I'd say like a hundred bucks. Seven dollars then. How much it is now? Yes. It's weird because basically, was that the time period when one dollar was one ounce of gold? I, I I'm pretty sure yeah. So a or thousand, it was at least locked to gold. Almost. So let's say seventeen hundred bucks. Seventeen hundred. Yeah, you're a little uh, uh, ah boo. Uh, 183. Oh, then it wasn't. Oh! Well, then it wasn't one for one with gold. That was that's what I was basing that off of. Oh, that hurts though. At... But also, no, it, it let's was, not forget gold prices gold. have like, gone up. I think it was twenty thirty five dollars an ounce or something like that. I I forget. Oh, gold okay. prices gotcha. have also gone up. But the reason so, for that is because of inflation. Right, but that it, those can't be compared apples to apples anymore. Well, back because then, an ounce you of could. gold. Back then, and, and I just forgot how much gold you got for $1. It used to be that when you took your dollars to the bank, it was backed by gold, and you could literally get your gold. Yeah. I like just didn't know be. how much gold. Like it should be. And yeah. also, on, on the minimum wage topic, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Sweden and Germany don't have a minimum wage, and you don't see people getting paid $0.04 cents an hour over there. Uh, so like maybe You also the market see them just locked wages. up indefinitely, so that's fun. True. So maybe like see, take what a little bit. the state oh. so much power. It's yeah. really, cool. really weird. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, uh, back to this book, (laughs) you said you have a ton of notes. Oh, so many notes. So many notes. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's have it. Oh, well, uh, one of the things that Rothbard Henry and I did not write notes. (laughs) Oh man, I wrote notes. I was highlighting stuff like reading this a second time was even better than the first. Um, the majority. So he talked about how, like I mentioned earlier that people, the, uh, active or resigned acceptance of the majority of citizens is like one of the main things the state wants to do. And so Mm -hmm. he says, basically for this to happen, the majority must be be persuaded by way of ideology that their government is good, wise, and at least inevitable and certainly better than any of the alternatives. Mm -hmm. And so it, Oh God, I'm just going to read the whole quote because it's so good. Um, And so uh, any alternatives promoting this ideology among the people is the vital task of the quote unquote intellectual intellectuals. For the masses of men do not create their own ideas or indeed think through these independently. They follow passively the ideas adopted and disseminated by the body of intellectuals. The intellectuals are therefore, quote, opinion molders in society. And since it is precisely a molding of opinion that the state most desperately needs, the basis for age old basis. 
the basis for the age-old alliance between state and intellectuals becomes clear. So in this COVID age where people are like putting up signs in their front yard that's like, we believe no human is illegal. We believe science uh, is real. Yeah. It's, it's so funny to me because I'm like, I believe science is real. We are not different. Yeah. Like we are not different in that. I mean, you're moderately different in the sense that you might know a little How bit I more about that science. Is I don't <laughs> I don't just believe somebody because I they're smarter than me in a particular area. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or because they've re- spent, devoted as a as a um as a profession that they study a particular thing. That doesn't mean that I'm incapable of doing my own research. And like, there's some idiot doctor that literally said like, you're incapable of being an expert because I'm like, well, how does any expert become an expert? They start from a place of not being an expert. Bless you, sir. Um, (laughs) But they start from a place of not being an expert and then they work their way towards becoming an expert, reading, uh, taking in new information, writing research papers. Like that's how experts are formed. So Mm -hmm. the fact that people go, oh, you can't research anything because you're not an expert. Well, experts started as not experts. So even the very science that you believe in had to be acquired by way of research, which you as an intellectual yourself, as a sentient human being are capable of doing. And I just find that, so interesting which i think is funny it comes from indoctrination literally we call that education here because actually i mean the definition of indoctrination is just the process of teaching a person is that really the definition yeah the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs oh so it literally is indoctrination. i mean archaic archaic usage is teaching you can't even argue that it's not indoctrination like because any level of education from any perspective would be indoctrination i'm trying to even think i'm pretty sure that the the latin that it comes from inducio or something like that it's just to teach i don't speak that zombie language so i've got no idea all good man it's so interesting (laughs) one of the examples and i won't read the whole quote because it's a little bit lengthy but when rothbard compared the priest the priesthood in and how the vatican used to um basically give by rule of by by divine authority who was allowed to rule as a monarch or what rules those monarchs had to follow i Mm -hmm. love that he compared the priesthood to the intellectuals he says it's the same thing their job is to get you to place your faith in ideas so that you have a religious uh a religious um what's the word i'm looking for i want to be articulate today but i can't uh is that you have a religious heart towards those people or religious inclination Admir- towards admiration. those people. There we go. Yeah. And so you look at them like all, like people with like Dr. Fauci, right? Like, yeah. I don't actually have a strong opinion about Dr. Fauci other than... Oh, I do. I mean, I do because people listen to him like his word is law. I, I wouldn't care if he was making, you know, as an expert, whatever. I don't care. Like, he can say whatever he wants to say. But when government leaders go, you need to listen to anything this guy says and anything... He, it's like, he is also not an economist. So he might be a quote unquote expert, which he's been wrong many times. So even experts can be wrong, by the way. But he's like more of he might a liar be a quote unquote than an expert. But okay, that's true. Sure. Um, and he, and he's engaged in you know the same cronyism that we see a lot of the big corporations and stuff engage in when it comes to like vaccines and things like that. There's a lot of reasons to believe that. But anyway, like the point, only point I'm trying to make besides the fact that like you know we could go into the Fauci stuff real deep. All I'm saying is that like he can say whatever he wants as a quote unquote expert of. Uh, like virology and things like that but he's not an economist so when he Mm -hmm. says shut everything down he's not an expert in the economy so why is his word unquestionable in that or when he says that church people shouldn't be able to sing like you're not an expert in constitutional rights like there's so many different things that he says that are not true and i'm like 
Bam. Not not <laughs> only is he uh, not an economist, there was actually a Washington Post uh, story, I believe it was, where he just admitted he's like, oh, I wasn't thinking about like the economic trade offs. Of I this was thing. just thinking so about ask, how to enslave you. That's ask all. somebody what. That, oh no, he was just thinking about how to enslave you. That's that's what he was oh, really thinking well, about. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to fact check myself real quick. Yeah. Since I know that Brie actually knows how to speak Latin. <laughs> yeah. uh, so to teach in Latin is actually doctrina. I think I made up an Italian word. Oh, nice. From what I said. An Italian or a Latin word? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, the real word is doctrina. Which, gotcha. Yeah, derp. I should have known that. Yeah, well, I mean. But you're absolutely right. Do better next time. Uh, the thing about Fauci in particular is that he knows way more than he lets up, but he, he will tell us what essentially the state wants us to think and feel. So for example, mm. uh, there was a study from 2005, and I think I may have sent that to you guys, where basically they found out that hydroxychloroquine was able to deal with COVID SARS, and that was a viable treatment. And what they ended up saying this time around was like, this is dangerous and it will kill you. And that is not acceptable. And we need to vac uh, vaccine or sorry, vaccinate you. Mm -hmm. So he knows a fair amount, but then he will decide what to tell you. Just like when he said, Oh, masks are, are not for the general public. And then he'll say, Oh, masks is for everyone. Or even more, uh, horribly when he was purposefully, moving the goalpost on what he thought the herd immunity threshold had to be because quote or rather paraphrased i just wanted to see where public opinion was at and form my answers around yeah. that so he moved herd immunity from like 40 percent to up like 80 percent yeah, yeah, yeah. fact checking on that but like this the general idea of the story is correct and, and he, he admitted bragged it. about it and he admitted it yeah he admitted it yeah He's yeah, like, that's well, not even conspiracy that I, stuff. It's He's just, like, it's now just that like I flexing see, his muscles for how much power he actually wields. Yeah, he was like, now that I see how open some of these people are to vaccines and how more people are open to this vaccine, uh, well, I can move how many people I think should get the vaccine. Like, And another interesting point that Rothbard makes is he talks about how one of the greatest dangers of the state is to criticize these intellectuals. And so mm -hmm. it, he specifically says, quote, uh, the, he says that these people who raise new doubts or new ideas about how the state is lying to them by way of intellectuals, he says, quote, these people are, uh, the, the state will regard them as a profane violator of the wisdom of ancestors. And then the next point he makes is another potent ideological force is to deprecate in, uh, the individual and exalt the collectivity of society. And so... If you're going to be uh, a profane violator of the wisdom of ancestors, it's like when on the right, when people say, oh, by the way, Lincoln was not that great of a dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they're like, yeah. what? And then on the left, it's well, like, I mean, to, to be fair, he did set the standard for modern presidents of firebombing women and children. So, like, we do have a lot to thank uh, <laughs> for <laughs> modern dark. politicians. Uh, look up uh, Lincoln's uh, handling of Atlanta and Charleston if you don't understand that. Because they weren't military cities and he just like bombed them. Oh, well. Oh, like Sherman's, Sherman's March? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sherman's March was horrific. And like, it right. uh, should be a stain on American history. And it's yeah. right like now, oh, and then he, uh, our right-leaning <laughs> listeners that are still in Con Inc. are going, you know, it's just, it's, it makes it, it hard to... They're talking about these people as if they're they're gods almost. But yeah, then well, on the flip side, you can go to the left and it'll say that like that you need to deprecate the individual and exalt the collectivity of society. That is the COVID it, playbook. It, it so was kinda, when people uh, say this is about more than just a virus, they're not joking. Yeah. Um, to go back two seconds, 
it was hilarious. Some high school somewhere uh, named after Lincoln decided to change its name because, like, it was during the BLM thing at its height. It's like Lincoln didn't care about black people enough, and you had Con Inc. like, oh, he abolished slavery, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at what Lincoln actually has said about black people, and it's like, yeah, the, actually, the woke crowd got this one right. He despised <laughs> black people and wanted to ship them back to Liberia. Yeah, Liberia, because uh, he didn't think that whites and blacks could get, could get along. He thought that we were two different species and that they wow. were inferior. Him and Malcolm X would have had tea together. What a guy. Yeah, it's like, oh, you, you want to separate too? Jeez. Me too. <laughs> you want me to go back to Africa? I want me to go back to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, yo, this is so funny. So specifically talking about intellectuals, the intelligentsia specifically in Soviet Union, mm-hmm. they were shipped to Siberia. Because they were the ones that were actually pointing out how detrimental, specifically, collectivism can be. Which always, like that word in of itself, it bums me out. Because right now, like during COVID, everyone's like, it's not about you and your freedom, okay? It's about the collective health. (laughs) It's not about you and your freedom to get a haircut, is what they said. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So What what a blatant diss. So literally, in Soviet Union, yeah, they murdered the intellectuals. That yeah. didn't go along with them. And this is the best part. When they needed to start making rockets, I for man, I, I'll Google this while you guys start talking about the next thing. Because there was a specific uh, professor or physicist who was in Siberia. And then they're like, oh, we don't have anyone to build rockets. And they had to go get him. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, like, my bad, bro. I'm sorry I threw you in a cage. We cool, though, right? But that, I'll, I'll that's another <laughs> example of how the state will co-opt the intellectual to do their work for them. Because they don't produce anything. And they are the worst. So yeah, and, and like there was a, a a section in the book about how the state needs the intellectual to prop up the idea of the state and to like make it seem way more sophisticated than it is. Um, but then the intellectual also needs the state because on the market, there's just not usually a massive demand mm-hmm. for intellect. As as much as I wish that wasn't the case, I wish people were reading like really dense books more. I wish I was reading denser books more. Um, but like, there's just not an, uh, as much of a market for intellectuals. Although I think with podcasts and like Khan Academy and stuff like that, I think we see that changing, which I'm kind of a fan of. So I believe I found the guy's name. Sergey Korolev. <laughs> there you go. Never Great. heard of him, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Jake, your next note. Uh, let's go to the next chapter. Shoot, let's. Um, which one? I've got that? more on that one, but we've basically talked about all the ideas there. So the next chapter, the articles are literally the scientist who survived the gulag to launch Sputnik. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Ivan proves. (laughs) Uh, uh, A national treasure before we accidentally killed him. So the next one is what the state fears, yeah? No, how the state transcends its limits. But the state fears is my favorite chapter, and I'm very excited about that. Oh, I've got got something to say about that. Uh, But uh, how the state transcends its limits. Go for it. Well, the first note I had was he was just talking about how states expand their power beyond what they're supposed to, what they're supposed to have, and that's what they do by default. Yeah. And um, one of the things he mentioned is he's, this is like one of the first times he brings up um, the American government, and mm-hmm. he says uh, one of the quotes he says is certainly the most ambitious attempt to impose limits on the state has been the Bill of Rights and other respective parts of the American Constitution. So he talks through all of that. But then he talks about the problem with the judicial branch of government. And he says, for if a judicial decree of quote unquote unconstitutional 
is a mighty check to government power an implicit verdict uh, or sorry <laughs> is a mighty check to government power an implicit or explicit verdict of quote constitutional is a mighty weapon for fostering public acceptance of an ever greater government power and i was like oh man <laughs> like that was one of those critical blows to con inc for me yeah. um really an amazing writing you guys have any thoughts on that or other things uh my favorite part in this chapter was when he, when he took on, I believe it was Calhoun's or Calhoun's um, idea of kind of, if I'm remembering correctly, it was federal and local checks against each other via nullification. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, when he brought and like up how states' powers, yeah, and can he, co-op federal powers, yeah, and he brought up the idea of like, well, I mean, like, what if they work in cahoots? Shouldn't they, yeah. they like the county be able to check the state and then? What if the county is getting, and he basically was like, by its own logical conclusion, the only way to, you know, avoid tyranny is for the individual to be able to check the tyranny that's being placed upon them. So, and then uh, uh, Rothbard, and I believe it's his essay, Nations by Consent, where he talks about secession a lot. He, he breaks it down and says he believes that individuals should be able to secede from the government and like create their own countries on their property, basically. Uh, he was asked in an interview once, like, how what's the ideal number of countries for America? And to, like, co-opt it into modern terms, he was like, 330 million. It's like, every, everybody should be, like, their own country on their property. Yeah. And obviously, there's not 330 million houses, because whatever. <laughs> but um, the, the idea of taking to its logical conclu- conclusion, these institutional checks on power have to go down to the individual or the household, I guess. Um, big fan. So, like, off that, he has a quote from what's his face charles black yeah and basically like this is the the way that the individual basically always loses versus the government and it's the specific quote and it's specifically the last line of Mm -hmm. this that really hit me right in the nuts so a man is drafted though he finds nothing in the constitution about being drafted a farmer is told how much wheat he can raise he believes and he discovers that some respectable lawyers believe with him that the government has no more rights to tell him how much wheat he can grow than it has to tell his daughter whom she can marry. A man goes to the federal penitentiary for saying that he what he wants to, and he paces his cell reciting, Congress shall make no laws abridging the freedom of speech. Yeah. Oof. So yeah. basically, take your constitution and shove it, is yeah. what the state says. Th- Throwback to... Uh... Lysander Spooner. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's unreal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about that is that this should be the ultimate, to me, olive branch to people whose minds are naturally left-leaning, is we are not opposed. When the government said that gay people couldn't get married, go get the frick married. When the government said that you're not allowed to smoke weed, go smoke your weed. When the government yeah. says that you have to that, that like what that you have to be a certain thing in order to receive certain benefits, go do that or find a company that'll provide those benefits to you. Like when the government tells you no, or even like stuff that I disagree with, like some of the stuff regarding like um like other stuff. Like I, I have to be careful not to go down a rabbit trail. But the bottom line is like there's even stuff that I disagree with, and I'm like, but if that is fine for you, and as long as you're not asking me to pay for it or asking violence by proxy of government to make me pay for it, go do it. Go mm-hmm. do it. The government doesn't have a right to tell you who you can and can't marry. When you sit there and you put that stupid sign in your front yard that says love is love, you're right. Love is e- love. Don't let the government define what that is. They'll throw you in jail. 
Ah, I mean. Oh, and the the one amendment that's supposed to be like a check for tyrannical government. I don't know the second one. Oh, oh, they're just that. gonna make cities where that doesn't apply. Yeah, and Sick. then you have COVID Not only lockdowns cities, and those cities states. and entire states, and then they they have COVID lockdowns, and then the murder rates go through the roof, even though they have the strictest gun laws, which should be the greatest sign to tell you that it doesn't matter what the law is. Oh, well, huh. that's, that's because not all states abide by those rules. And if we just got rid of guns altogether. Oh, yeah. I forgot that Mexico is also on the southern border. And yeah. <laughs> things just trickle in. Yeah. Well, in it all seems. states, opioids are illegal. Or as far as like heroin and well, things like that. Heroin, heroin and fentanyl. That, so oh, yeah. yeah that's yeah. what I'm saying, though. That, that's a whole thing. That's a whole other thing. But <laughs> true. Very true. But like beyond that, it's like opioids are illegal in all 50 states. And guess what? There's a, hero, a heroin epidemic right now. Like they yeah. literally have signs, especially particularly in the state of Maryland, where like they're telling, they're counting how many people are dying by way of overdose. My mom, because you know my it's mom's get, getting up there in age, basically COVID death. <laughs> uh, my mom's getting up there in age, and she listens to police scanners sometimes just for fun. And I'm like, oh mom, my god, your grandma, I love it. Uh, and there was literally like there was a call that was in at night, just like like right before I came back to Charlotte after Christmas break, and it was somebody was freaking out in a hospital room, and they were mad because. They gave them that drug that gets you out of your heroin high so that you don't die Narcan. of an overdose. Yeah, they narcaned him. And yeah. he was so pissed off and he was throwing a fit, you know? And it's just like, guys, there's all kind like, oh, the government. Ugh. But it's just, there's so much to this that's like beyond what it looks like on the surface. And it just aggravates me. Oh, I, I think mean, that's the understatement of. The year, you know, the government. I was trying to wheel it back because I was getting, well, I was getting emotional. Just like the one other aspect, though, and I, I'm pretty sure that it's in this chapter. It's when he discusses how, like, let's make pretend I do something to Ryan. Like there are, whoa, there's certain. I guess like I get charged. Why would you do that? I get charged <laughs> yeah. with a crime. Yeah. However, any crime against the government has the ultimate punishments. Yeah, yeah. So like treason, death. Oh. Let's you don't go pay ahead on to the next chapter. Jail Let's for go to the next really chapter. Because oh, that's that in, in it. the next one. Okay. Yeah. What the state yeah. fears. Okay. So I love this chapter because, like, to boil it's my down favorite chapter into six seconds. The state fears conquest via war and revolution. And I think if we throw it back, <laughs> how current of a topic. I think if we throw it back a week and three days, we're recording <laughs> this on or four days. We're recording this on the seventeenth. They crapped their pants when a bunch of unarmed boomers showed up at the Capitol and pushed through the doors. Imagine oh, if there was mean, a real revolution. Oh, they don't know what to do about my it. Well, here's what's funny the, the is video that you've got Black Lives Matter down the hall doing nothing. Oh, what? When, the, when the people are just walking around the Capitol, yeah. like sightseeing, Dude, and that was enough to terrify them. There was like 20 of them that were there to go. Oh, and then yeah. the rest of them were just like, I mean, like I'm just kind of here. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's like the vibe I got. And like, I, I know it's hor- horrible that like five people died or whatever, but people mm-hmm. are trying. It wasn't the worst thing we've ever seen. Like, 30 people died in the riots over the summer. I don't want to hear it. Not, uh, but that's the thing, though, is event. I was explaining this to my wife and I was, re- she was next to me when I was reading the book yesterday. Is that you've got the Black Lives Matter riots where people are literally like throwing Molotov cocktails, burning down buildings, going into private property or private establishments and looting the place. And we're lauding that as this is just how, you know, because we're white supremacists and black people are not near as evolved as us. And so when we mourn, we go in our closet and cry. But when black people mourn, they're allowed to go outside and steal stuff from you because, you know, they're animals and it's fine. Um, Of course. You're a white supremacist if you think that. Anyway, um, 
Um, <laughs> so uh, woke. We can see the state, though. <laughs> we can see the state. Their inter- their their reactions to both of those situations, because yeah. one was gravely partisan, which we talked about with the intellectuals and stuff like that. Um, it helps them if people think you're all in or you're all out. And then the second part of that was they were attacking private businesses prim- primarily, and they were attacking uh, their neighbors primarily. Government mm-hmm. says, this is how black people mourn. This is fine. Let the propaganda machine go. But in the Black Lives Matter riots, the minute they started to turn their attention towards federal buildings or towards state buildings, yeah. the governors started getting serious about shutting it down. And also, yeah. they started sending federal troops out to get these people out. This wasn't even half as violent, <laughs> nor as long. And, and if you want, the government if, has universally panned these idiotic right-winger people who decided to walk into the Capitol like a bunch of idiots. And yeah. Sean King, I've, I've followed him for like five days, and I want to blow my brains out every time he posts something because it's so just like one-sided and like purposefully uh, unfactual. But he's like t- takes showing people's faces and their names and saying, these are the people we need to arrest and all that. I'm like, did you do that with any of the Black Lives Matter people? Did you do that with no. any of them? Oh, uh, they may have done it with the two couple or the couple oh, that was trying Mc- to defend their own property. Their names, the McCalkins or something? Yeah. Something like that. They were the baddies. And then <laughs> when yeah. they marched towards the... And Kyle Rittenhouse also. Yeah, baddie. And yeah. then when they go towards the actual mayor's <laughs> yeah, house, <he> they <laughs> shut it down. Yeah, yeah. Shut and, it down. And they had extra security. And I, I love the idea on specifically this. Um, I, 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 can't, I thought about this recently when everybody was saying like oh imagine if they were black like yeah the media would be lauding this they'd be like this is what resistance looks like if the parties were flipped it would be a heroic symbol of patriotism and also more federal or more people got killed by federal agents at the capitol than through the entire riots uh uh all summer so your the data is not in your favor if that's your argument. But it doesn't matter because the state apparatus says that because this smelled, it wasn't actually a revolution by any means. But just no. because it kind of smelled like it, like now we have all these status cucks on their Instagram going, "Oh my gosh, that dude walked in with a Confederate flag," and "Oh my gosh, these white supremacists." And I'm like, "Look, what are these people stupid?" Somebody's office. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, what just, if it was, it was just in Mitch McConnell's office? He's like, look what I... That guy got Pelosi's uh, lectern and I got McConnell's Confederate flag? Hell yeah. Yo, that would have been hilarious. I would oh. die. <laughs> like, what if they took that from one of them? But, like, yeah. it's it, it just because it smelled like revolution and because it was the wrong color of skin. And because some, yep. some Q people thought it was a revolution. Like yeah. that woman that got mazed. It's a revolution. <laughs> no, it's not. It's really not. It's like, Yo, go sit down. Please go sit but down. Like, but speaking of which, the way in which the state reacts when it feels threatened. So this is Nancy Pelosi talking about the uptick of security for the inauguration. Yeah. She says, we have to have more security than the intelligence might warrant. I think in this case, redundancy might be necessary. Oh, but you also are kind of down with taxing other people's guns and 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 all that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I somebody um man, I forget who it was on Twitter. Uh, this UK guy because it's always a UK guy was complaining about guns, and then he uh the the guy I follow quote tweeted it and said nobody's anti gun, they're just pro centralized guns, and I'm pro decentralized <laughs> guns. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. And I got in some arguments with some people, and I regret wasting my time on. Oh, of course. <laughs> but like, <laughs> uh, like I, I, when you bring up the idea, it's like you know, not that many people are just murdered, right? Like if you except take out, in places where guns are illegal, like Chicago. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but if you take out suicides and like drug related, which should be legal, uh, like gang deaths and whatever, it's like not that much. It's like. 7,000 deaths in a country of 330 million with more guns than people. It's yeah. like, that's a ratio. I'm cut. And also, uh, take out the police deaths, which is like 1,300. And uh, granted, like, I'll admit probably some of them are warranted, like walking in on a murderer, murderer but, but most of them probably <laughs> not. Like all six of the times that happens where you walk in with a guy with a knife about to go, and he's like, BAM! <laughs> <laughs> but like most of the other times when it's like, again, drug and gang related, uh, uh, it's like people don't really like to hear that. So like, no, here's, here's the data. Yeah. By Speaking of those types of situations, I think it's really funny that when that girl got shot in the face, people are like, they knew what she knew what she was up to. She knew what she was getting herself into. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, if yeah. I was sleeping with a drug dealer, I know that no, not great. Might be in my future. <laughs> or uh, sexually my assaulting name's Jake, a woman. I need to say it in the future, by the way. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> She's not name. a god. She's not a god. Anyway. Nah. Uh, nobody is. I think nobody that's, is. That's the whole thing. Um, also for the sake of saying it I think that when police kill people when they could have arrested them or done something non-lethal I think that is always better than killing them so yeah uh, I don't it, think it, Breonna Taylor should have died I don't think she got what she deserved I think I'm just saying that your intellectual dishonesty recently. is apparent that's all I'm yeah. saying <laughs> yeah um, so the next chapter is, oh uh, real quick real quick real quick yeah, yeah, yeah. real quick real quick um, quote War thus provides many benefits to a state, and indeed, every modern war has brought a, has brought to the warring peoples a permanent legacy of increased burdens upon society. Oh my God, I could talk about mm-hmm. that for an hour. Um, that's one of uh, the reasons why I'm incredibly anti-war. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, the one of the best writers on this topic specifically, Robert Higgs. Uh, he's an economic historian, uh, part of the Mises, Hoover, and Independent Institute, I believe. Um, he has several books specifically on uh, how governments utilize crisis or crises, whatever, um, to grow their power and influence. Fantastic Ugh. author. It's like it's super easy to read to. Uh, one book against the Leviathan is a general overview of how awful the state is. Uh, just like not not even from like a moral thing where it's like they're evil and blah, but like from a utilitarian, they're making us poorer. And here's the proof oh, sort man. of thing. Uh, it's a great book. I love it. Also, like, just think about, like, World War II. They have a fight amongst one another. Therefore, you need to go fight. And if you don't, you go to jail. Yeah. And I think he uh, somewhere in the book, he makes the comparison how, at least in the Middle Ages, the kings would fight amongst themselves or hire mercenaries. Mm-hmm. But they would leave the people alone. Yeah. And how much worse it is now. So that that's actually um, Hoppe is Hoppe yeah. getting a, a a shout out and a half on this show in democracy. He actually has a a, a just so you know, in democracy. The guy that failed is basically an argument for monarchism over democracy. Um, so when he's constitutional doing, monarchy, I think specifically. no, he says monarchism. Really? Yeah, like king king. Yes, no parliament. Yeah, specifically yes. because king. it places more burden of. Uh, 
property ownership on the monarch, which means yeah. that they'll be more cautious in their affairs. So yeah. it can't be uh, constitutional. Got it. Yeah, he, he has a, a, a passage where um, he, he's talking about how civilians in those wars didn't even know they were at war most of the time. And, uh, and that they would cross national borders. To do trade and commerce. Yeah, uh, yeah and uh, one of the sources he used was J.S.C. Uh, Fuller's The Conduct of War. And it basically goes through how wars were fought from, I think it's early 1700s, late 1600s, up until like 1930-ish when the book was written. Um, or 40s or 50s, something, something like that. Um, and the overall theme is wars have gotten much more barbaric. And Hoppe makes the argument that because in democracy, the throwback to the first chapter, uh, the idea is we are the government. Well, if you're at war with another state, then the civilians are the enemy as well. Right. And then total war, things like Lincoln did, things like, uh, you know, we did to Germany, things like we're doing to the entirety of the Middle Japan. East. Uh, yeah, Japan with the, the nukes. Um, the firebombing of Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, it, that was... The carpet I, bombing I, of Dresden, which nobody wants to talk about, but that is just war crimes. Yeah, as somebody who is the only issue that I will... I'm like... I have a lot of issues I care about, but the number one, I would have voted for Tulsi because she was anti-war, even though she was horrific on every other issue. But because she was anti-war and could have won, I would have voted for her. As somebody who, that's my number one issue, makes a pretty solid case for monarchism to me. Mm. Yeah. Last thing I didn't on, believe her, uh, to be uh, honest. I just didn't believe her. But now... Oh, she wouldn't have done it. The same way Trump didn't do any of the stuff. He was... He, Trump was one of the most anti-war candidates we ever had. The We were just talking about how much the money supply has increased. All of that happened under Trump, who said he was going to start paying off national debt and was going to yeah. make the curve go down. Like, she wouldn't have done it, but it was nice that she said it. I mean, I don't even <laughs> think that, that they could. You know, that's that big machine. And I just or she would have gotten assassinated. Yep. Because yeah. the war issue is a good way to get a lot of state slash corporate apparatus. Get a, a limo ride through Dallas. You know what I'm saying? Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. Like, let's reroute that last minute and uh, oopsie daisy. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Like, um, that's why I, I stand by it. Trump is not a unique evil, but because he smelled anti-war and would continually revisit the issue, I think that is the principal reason that the, that the, the deep state rather has vilified him as a president. It's definitely um, one of them. It's not his tweets. But uh, la last quote for me on this chapter was kind of what? I just think that's so funny. That seems to be the thing that the establishment has against Trump. His Twitter account. He was a moderate center right guy. And like to borrow a, a phrase from Michael Malice, um, people think he was the river, but he was the dam. Yeah. Like there is a lot more coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trump was Yay. not that bad. He was just kind of stupid, but. Yeah, he was he was a dick, and that's kind of just he's a reality. That's as far as it goes. Thought, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, what did you expect? Um, yeah, but kind of what brought us to this chapter was what Henry was talking about, and he was talking about we may test the hypothesis that the state is largely interested in protecting itself rather than its subjects by asking which category of crimes is the state pursue and punish most intensely: those against private citizens or those against itself. Case mm -hmm. in point, both in the public opinion and in the in the in the government opinion, uh, you can loot all the stores in 6th Street in Austin that you want, but the minute you walk in and you basically just prop your feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk, you are public enemy number one. Yeah, and like a terrorist and white supremacist. Right. Where now they're going to rewrite the rules to make it even more broad, how to define that. Yeah. That's awesome. Right? War on domestic terror. Yeah. Incoming. 
Yeah. I, I always kind of wanted to feel like a Syrian child, and now I guess <laughs> I'm gonna, oh I'm gonna my figure gosh. it out. Uh, <laughs> sitting here not doing anything wrong, and then all of a sudden the boots. I hear them coming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So only two more chapters, boys. All right. So the next chapter, how states relate to one another. I just the idea of this, I think, is very interesting because in a lot of anarchist writings, um, the idea is. Oh, well, or the popular idea is you need a government or else people are going to be really nasty and rude to each other. And there's always going to be, you know, small scale conflicts and wars and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Every government is in a state of anarchism amongst other governments. There is no one world government. Oh, not yet. Oh, not yet. They're working real hard on it. Uh, They're working very hard on it. World Economic Forum, great research. Yeah, the globalists. Yeah, they have to make contracts. <laughs> I wish uh, it was a joke. I really do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have to make contracts among each other and, you know, deal with each other rationally. Obviously, there are wars. So there. I'm not saying there would never be conflict under an anarchist society. That'd be ridiculous. But the amount of devastation a private individual could do, nothing compared to a small military. So Unless they, they start to band together and then oh, it's not anarchy You mean anymore. make a government? Yeah. Literally. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I just think that's an an interesting point that I've heard a lot of people make. I I have a few problems with that analogy, mainly the war thing. I think people are much more inherently peaceful than governments. Um, But Well, not to mention the fact that we have governments has brought the lowest common denominator of society even lower. Yeah, and given through the education voice, through the vote. Even. Exactly. So if we never had any of that, if we didn't have free money, you wouldn't have population growth spiking mm-hmm. like it does. And people would be more responsible. Uh, average IQ would probably be much higher. So there's supposedly, which I would need to actually find the where I got this statistic from. But um, like the peak of human intellect was somewhere in the 1800s. And yeah. thanks to like the Napoleonic Wars, followed by World War One, World War Two, the Civil War, even. all of the young, uh, smart people essentially of society were put against one another and exterminated. Mm-hmm. And so the older men in the society were it was on their shoulders to like repopulate your country. Yeah, and then the guys out, not capable of fighting. And Sick. then you get the old product if you yeah. catch my drift, and uh, it's yeah expired. <laughs> oh, For my gosh. lack of a better <laughs> term. Sorry, Jake's mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. What did I say about cats last episode? I don't know. Oh, it was about, amazing. I was a yeah. big fan. Oh, I forgot. Even when I was listening, to, like re-listening to that while I was working, I was I literally had to I stop. I think it had to do like, with oh low, low-hanging fruit. I believe <laughs> was the, the low-hanging fruit. I believe. Oh was yes, the, that's, oh, that's what yeah, that yeah, joke yeah. devolved into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Um, you remember that time when Henry sent us a tweet and it was explicit and we didn't realize <laughs> he didn't realize it. <laughs> That's oh, so yeah. I pick up my phone yeah. and it's literally Hunter Biden shoving his you know what in well, somebody's. Can I, I would at least like to explain <laughs> what happened there. Somebody did a really <laughs> funny response in a thread, and the way that it showed up in my Twitter feed, it looked like it was cropped, so that you just saw Hunter Biden's like face, which was comical, and like a uh, bare chest. He was and receiving with... pleasure. That was his face. So that. But. You know. It, it was it made mention of he was of, taking pleasure it, it was like, he was taking and i believe pleasure. the tweet had something along the lines of like thanks to hunter biden for the breakfast and i was like haha that's kind of clever because it's insinuated turns out it wasn't insinuated it was no. very she got breakfast yeah. and it was very explicit 
And uh, so yeah, I so do immediately delete it out of the text thread. I'm like, Henry, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you pointed it out to me because I just kind of sent it and I didn't really see it in the context of our text conversation. I just saw it from Twitter. So I just hit the share button and sent it. And then when you said that, I was like, wait, what's wrong with the tweet? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the last chapter. So th- that didn't oh. get censored, but the New York Times post about the laptop did. Yes. New York <laughs> Post. <laughs> The, uh, the New York Post story. Yeah, New York there Post. There you go. Sorry, yeah. you're right. Oh, one um, quick quote about this chapter that I thought oh, was just fine. so good. I know. It's just, <laughs> I love this book. I love it so much. Um, it's a so pamphlet. basically the yeah, whatever. <laughs> this literary work. Small PDF. Um, so basically, this whole chapter is just about like war and how states are always either fighting with each other actively or passively. And uh, he says, in the modern era of total war, combined with the technology of total destruction, the very idea of keeping war limited to the state apparatus seems even more quaint and obsolete than the original Constitution of the United States. Yeah. Oof. Oh, man. Ron Hard's oh, awesome. To, uh, I love him uh, so much. To bounce, to bounce <laughs> a fun fact off of that, uh, off the idea of um, total war meeting like modern mechanics or whatever uh you just said what, what mm-hmm. was the quote uh total war combined with the technology of total destruction yes uh do you know where plastic surgery came from oh i'm so excited i have no idea hit me uh i've read this a few places and heard it a few places so like fact check me but i've reputable people um it came from when people uh in the world war one were first really meeting the power of machinery in war and they would come back mangled dang that's where plastic surgery came from yoikes and like a good capitalist society we were like you know what we can also make boobs bigger (laughs) (laughs) precisely Uh, I smell an opportunity (laughs) the market finds a way it's like those people with uh, at the capitol riot who are selling uh, Trump t-shirts it's like you go man for like $80 (laughs) wasn't there like some dude selling hot dogs like right outside the capitol yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. both of them somebody was selling it was a Trump sweatshirts for $100 each and then another person had a hot dog stand and it's like I'm here for it. The the guys <laughs> in the lab that were trying to work out how to do plastic surgery, they look at each other and they're like, bro, <laughs> bro. It's like, you know how you hate that thing your wife has? <laughs> well, for them, do you want to make it you hate that comically? thing your wife doesn't have? <laughs> 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 All right, um, oh, I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh but then Human this last chapter, the one quote, and it's like a two-page chapter or something like that. Um, the quote I love the most is, for me, it's the end of the first paragraph at halfway through the second page. Um, quote, if the 17th through the 19th centuries were in many countries of the West, times of accelerating social power and a corollary increase in freedom, peace, and material welfare, the 20th century and the 21st century, but he wasn't there yet, um, has been primarily an age in which state power has been catching up with a consequent rever- uh, reversion to slavery, war, and destruction. Oh. Um, I do remember in, in Hoppe, man, that book is so good. It's my favorite book, Democracy, the God that Failed. Um, he kind of hints at this as well. And one source he had was, um, uh, I believe it was called The History of Capitalism. And it goes through how in Europe, capitalism was taking, uh, taking hold um, and they got exported to America, obviously. 
and they're the places where you see the most you know material wealth coming from and the most technological innovation and all of that um i need to buy that book i need to read that book but i've got a few uh on the list first gosh how many books are you reading right now i go three at a time one theory one economics one history yo just that's awesome but also the next line after where you stopped in this century the human race faces once again the violent reign of the state of the state now armed with the fruits of man's creative powers confiscated and perverted to its own aims boom yeah that's so good and true and true yeah and that is ultimately what history is as rothbard kind of sums up in this last chapter as it's just people finding new ways of uh, an actor providing doing things that are going to increase the state of his own affairs and then the state will then confiscate those economic uh, increases or mm-hmm. even the ideas or the new technologies that come with those. And then it will then repurpose them, just like the cell phone is such an amazing device that you know we've been able to connect, we've been able to get work done remotely, we've been able to send emails, and now the state uses it to listen to us. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just and so control our funny. thoughts. And control us, our thoughts and yeah. contact trace and all the things. So it's just like so interesting to see how this plays out. Like even if you didn't have the same conclusion of the social dilemma that we had, like you can't deny that this is true. Yeah. Snowden, uh, blew the whistle real hard or blew the doors wide open, I guess yeah. is a better, uh, uh, phrase to use. Like everybody even jokes that it's happening and nobody cares. It's like, well, I guess they're just listening to us. It's like, yeah, they, they are. And that's a problem. And you don't seem to care. That they're much. listening and watching. They're arresting people and alleging that they're going to make do acts that they haven't done yet just mm-hmm. according to data that they stole yeah so yeah welcome welcome to the end of america i feel like yeah and if you're thinking oh well they don't it's only people on a watch list look up it's either the prism or prisma program i forget which one it is and that's one of the ones that's known and blew the whistle on they have everything i mean beyond that i think it was in i want to say chicago when it was discovered that FBI had black sites where basically they can take American citizens, their tech, you know, what is it called when you lose all of your rights? Um, they're suspended and there's a phrase for it when you're Habeas con- corpus. There you go. That gets suspended. There's no court. There's nothing. And mm-hmm. they just keep you there indefinitely. If you disappear, you disappear. Nobody is told what happened to you. Um, and that turned out to be everyday life for some people. Uh, I think it's six, section 1022 uh, in the NDAA. Um, was it? Which, like, while he looks that up, it also, like, knowing that this is how the state thinks and how it feels about its citizenry, that also should be, I think, what pushes people to understand that it will also facilitate events to make sure that they're able to still withhold their power. So they will, they'll let, or like the Gulf of Tonkin, right? They'll, they'll make up this event that will stir up the next military conflict. And as evil as that sounds, it is not beneath them in order to get their means. Mm-hmm. That should uh, uh, wake some people up. Section 1021, sorry. Uh, in, in detention without tri- trial, Obama signed that. What year? Uh, 2012. So in 2012, Obama gave the ability. So I guess that's their law enforcement. The government ultimate power, basically. Yeah. 
uh, just zero checks and balances. Uh, thank you. Thanks. I mean, they are they already had that, but he really just like codified <clears throat> it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not beneath the state just to break its own rules, but here they just yeah. made the rule. Yeah, I mean, I, I, had, I had somebody reasons. on on Twitter. I saw somebody. Um, one of somebody I follow was arguing uh, that war is murder, which should be a very easy argument to win. And I then think so. somebody hit back with the technical definition of murder being the lawful killing or the unlawful killing of like a person or something like that. It's like, well, it's lawful because it's the government and they said it was uh, uh, legal. And it's like, that is the most evil view of current events I think you could maybe possibly have. But people it's consistent uh, with how our judicial branch works. Well, it's, it's, it's constitutional it, because they said so. People well, say uh, the same thing about like the taxation is theft thing. It's like, well, theft is the unlawful seizing of property. It's like, okay. But even then, Bush still uh, bombed Saddam Hussein the second time around Yeah, with unlawfully. Yeah. So they break the law. They make the rule. They absolutely don't care. All the time. Doesn't matter. Well, oh, I guess we're technically breaking their unwritten laws by talking about it. So it's nice knowing you guys. Yeah, I'll see you. <laughs> 50 and done. You know what I'm saying? Peace out. I've only I'll got 1,500. Yeah. <laughs> I've only got 1,500 followers on Instagram, so they don't care about me yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Once you get influential enough, oh, maybe oh, you'll have so to like, hide in so Russia. So that's fun. Tim Poole did a, um, a live stream, or even it was just a YouTube video about January 6th, just talking about what happened. Mm-hmm. And it looks like whatever it is that he said, which he's generally is very moderate. Yeah. It got taken down. Yeah. For, and like, they didn't actually tell him why. They're just like, we don't like this. So yeah. sweet. Real cool. Uh, yeah. The president of the United States got censored from his speech at the Alamo. The, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm assuming most people didn't even hear that that happened. And all it was, was a real mild speech saying like, we're working on this wall. You're real hard workers. I love how on his last day, he's like, it's going to be beautiful. Yeah. It's going to be a tremendous wall. <laughs> and regardless of how you feel about that, none of the major networks showed it. I think mm-hmm. instead they were talking about the FBI trying to find the people that were um, at the Capitol. That's yeah. what, at the exact same time. And I think the only people that I saw carrying it were Alex Jones on InfoWars and then Right Side Broadcasting Network on YouTube. And that was it. Yeah. As if it never happened. The presidential stream on YouTube didn't even carry it. Uh, yeah. hello. Yeah. Sick. Well, it's because he's an this illeg- president. Is- he's it's in, unreal. Uh, he's an illegitimate president because Russia got him elected. So, um, uh, Biden the, is the most legitimate president. It was the, it was the most <laughs> secure election in our lifetime. And that's why we need 25,000 guards at the White House to install him because he's that popular. Exactly. The, the 2016 election was the least safe. And four years later, we got the most safe with a colluder as president. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, man. on that note, unless uh, anybody has anything else to throw in there, because uh, we're about out of time. Uh, and and anchor's time. not gonna anchor's not gonna let me uh, upload a file this big if we keep going much longer. <laughs> um, time to wrap. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget about the giveaway we're doing. Uh, a couple of the best books you could possibly own, really. And even if you don't read them because they're too long or hard or something, that's what she said. Uh, <laughs> at least you'll just have them on your coffee table, and you'll look. <laughs> And you'll look super smart to all your friends and you can be like, yeah, I won this in a giveaway. Isn't that 
awesome. <laughs> I think it's really, you're really selling this. So well. <laughs> I mean, dude, even if you're not a reader, look like you are one. It, you know, you get ladies. Uh, <laughs> it will. Girls like that. Yeah, well, girls that are worth it like that. Follow uh, us on Instagram boom. to get more details about the giveaway. Uh, the links are, uh, we'll tweet it, we'll put it in our Instagram bio, and we'll have it in the description of this show and probably the next one. This show will probably be up on Tuesday, the 19th, and we'll probably be picking uh, the winners on the, what would that be, the 26th. Um, so get in your emails and your submissions Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, at the Lunch Boys Pod. Uh, five stars on iTunes. Four stars. Four stars. We send them back. That's right. Your stars are an illegitimate government that doesn't care about the, part, the quality of our podcast and how we are able to spread our ideas to the masses. I'll take it. <laughs> Very nice. We talked Thanks about for, so many things. I didn't. I wasn't able to latch onto one. <laughs> that's your. That's your so four fair. stars are like a professor that's in a gulag that we might later need to make rockets, but forget him for now. Yeah, to boost the average when somebody comes with a star. He might be a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> he might yeah, be a Nazi. Paperclip. Uh, four stars. <laughs> we send them back. That's right. Four stars are like the intellectuals whose ideas. There you go. <laughs> are not illegitimate and only. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Again, at the Launch Boys Pod on everything. Send us your money on Patreon. Uh, we'll see you next time. Helps us Thanks for listening. It does. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. If there's a next time. If there's a next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for this edition of the Launch Boys. Join us again next time as the boys take one step closer to getting canceled. Bye-bye now. Stay safe out there. There is a lot of COVID. You might get it. You might not. Wear a mask. Or do not. Who knows? But whatever you do, have a strong opinion about it, comrades. See you in Gulag soon, yes? <laughs> you think I kid. I not kid. <laughs>